Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. i be in the book of Colossians here this morning. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how God works all these things out uh, in Scripture and... Um, you know, obviously today is uh, Palm Sunday, and we've been looking at uh, this passage here in Colossians uh, 1, 15 through um, 19, and um, interesting enough, you know, as we talk about Palm Sunday, we're actually going to be looking at a, a little portion of the scripture here, talking about Jesus being the king, right? Um, and even next week, also, um, it talks about he is the firstborn from the dead. And so obviously we'll be uh, talking about Jesus who has uh, resurrected from the dead and he has become the firstborn uh, from the dead. Um, but as we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to these believers here in Colossae, uh, remember this was, a, this was a, a group of Christ followers that hadn't ever met Paul. Uh, they were one to the Lord. Uh, church was established here in uh, Colossae, and uh, a, a faithful minister at this church, Epaphras, came to visit Paul and to tell him of what was going on in the church and how uh, these people were growing and some of the, the uh, problems that they were, that they were having. And um, the reason for whole, the, all of Paul's letter here was because he wanted to tell them uh, about and remind them about who Jesus was, and uh, to get their focus and their gaze back on Christ, uh, because there had been some cultural um, uh, pressures from outside of the world that uh, were trying to get them to turn their focus off of Christ and onto other things. And then there was also inside influences, uh, most notably some false teachers in the church that had been teaching some things to try to draw these people away from Christ. And so Paul tries to realign their focus again back to Jesus Christ and say, this is the one you need to follow. This is where your eyes need to be directed towards. Uh, and this is where your passion and, uh, and your, uh, your heart should be settled on. And... Um, so Paul's letter here is really to remind them of how important it is uh, of how we should be holding fast to Jesus Christ. And, you know, to have your focus on Christ, to make sure Jesus and Jesus alone really has the preeminence in your life. And that's really this whole passage here in uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 19. I had said um, a couple weeks ago that this is really the, the most uh, christ centered, Christ-rich passage in all of the New Testament. Uh, in fact, this was actually became a hymn that they sang uh, in the New Testament church. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's important that we have our focus on Christ. And, you know, this week, it, it marks what we know as the Passion Week. This is the week that uh, we talk about Jesus uh, spending those last few moments with his disciples. He rides into Jerusalem, you know, and they bring the palm branches and they lay him down shouting Hosanna. Uh, he spends the last night with his disciples um, there in the upper room uh, before he's taken away. He's uh, uh, arrested. Um, he's mocked. He's uh, put on trial, a mockery of a trial, uh, crucified. 
And, you know, this is what we tend to focus on. And we, we talk about um, Christ as, as, uh, as he is uh, revealed in Scripture in that way. And he's the king that uh, Scripture says that he is. And in reality, when we look at this, we're going to look at this passage. Um, it displays Christ as the king, that he is the king of all creation, that he is the firstborn of all creation. And so really, that's really what I want to do here uh, this morning, is I want us to put our focus on Jesus Christ, uh, to have our eyes set on Christ, of who he is, how he's revealed in Scripture. Um, because if we get a different view of Christ from maybe what this person says or what this culture says or um, how these people portray him, and we don't have what Scripture says that we have the wrong view of Jesus. And so it's important that we always go back to Scripture, that we always go back to what Scripture says who Jesus is and how Scripture reveals who Jesus is. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Exalt Jesus as king because he is the firstborn of creation. Exalt Jesus as king because he is the firstborn of creation. So let's take note here of our text, Colossians 1, 15 through 19. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What makes Jesus so special as to exalt him as king. As we see in our text here, Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn over creation. Now we need to explain that here just a little bit because I believe this text here has been misused by several cults, uh, false teachers throughout history of the church. Notice the word here, firstborn. Firstborn, he's firstborn. And what does that mean? Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons uh, seem to take this as their proof text, and they teach that Jesus was created by God, that he's nothing more than just a creation of God, that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is really just a, another God, a God, not the God. Uh, Mormons teach that Jesus was a creation uh, just like uh, Satan was, and they are uh, brothers. Lucifer and uh, Jesus are brothers. But that's not what this scripture teaches. This scripture here says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And so what does that mean? What does that term firstborn mean? The term firstborn can mean one of two things in scripture. First of all, it can mean the first in birth or first created. Uh, we see it used in this way, talking about Jesus' birth, his earthly birth to Mary, 
uh, in uh, Luke 2, 7. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And so Jesus was the firstborn of Mary. How many of you are the firstborn in your family? Right? So you're firstborn. You're born into that family as firstborn. And so he was first chronologically. And so certainly this term can be used to mean that. But also, this term can mean something else. And this is the meaning of it here used in Colossians. Firstborn can mean first in position, rank, or to be supreme. The way Paul uses this term here, firstborn, really means to be first in rank, the priority or the supreme one, because he later on says that he might have the preeminence. And so in Greek culture, in Hebrew culture, the firstborn received the inheritance of the father. The firstborn was the special one in the family. However, just because one was born first chronologically did not mean that they would receive the inheritance as the firstborn. Can anybody remember back in uh, Old Testament that something like that happened? Jacob and Esau, right? What did he do? He sold his birthright. He did not get the inheritance. And the firstborn, the privileges, the rights were given uh, to the other. So we see this term firstborn used throughout Scripture to demonstrate priority or favor. In Exodus 4.22, listen how God talked about Israel. He says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Now if we think about this, was Israel the first nation created? No. But God did what? He made them his firstborn. They were God's special nation. They were called to be a nation of priests to win the world to God. They were the firstborn. We also see that Christ was predicted to be God's firstborn among the kings of the earth. Psalm 89, 27 says, I will also appoint him, my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Was Christ the first king on the earth? Absolutely not. He was, is, and will be the most exalted king on the earth, however. Right now, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day, he will rule on the earth, and all the nations will submit to him. And so when Paul says here, firstborn over all creation, he is referring to Christ's supremacy, that he is over all creation. In fact, in verse 16, it says that he was the creator of, of creation, for by him all things were created. Now notice how many times Paul uses that phrase, all things. Look at what he says here. For by him all things are created. He says all things are created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he talks about having all the fullness and so when we talk about God and who He is and the fact that He has revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, He is saying, I am the firstborn over all creation. I am the King. I have every right that has been given to me. 
John 1, 1 through 3 reminds us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that had been made. And so Christ was there in the beginning, and He was God and is God. It was through Him that everything was created. Jesus boldly declared in John 8, 58, Asserting that he was God, he said, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered before Abraham was born, I am. And so by calling himself I am, Christ declared to the Jews that he was God. It's interesting enough to note that 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 name I am was the same exact name that God used to reveal himself to the children of Israel when they were there in Egypt. And he says, I'm going to reveal myself as I am. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He revealed himself as I am. And so Jesus has always existed, and therefore he is deserving of our honor. Why does Paul say that Christ should be exalted over all creation as the firstborn? Look at verses 16 and 17 here. He says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now take note of that little word for there. That's an interesting word. The word there at uh, four, beginning of verse number 16. This word is connecting really what Paul, Paul's teaching on why Christ is the firstborn. Why is he supreme over all creation? And Paul really gives us three reasons uh, for this. And this is what I'm going to talk to you about here this morning. So here it is, number one. Jesus is king, the firstborn of creation, because he is the creator. We already looked here at verse number 16. He says, all things are created by him. But it should be noted that another part of the heresy that was propagated in this church... Uh, were these Gnostics that were basically teaching that Christ was an angel. That he was nothing more than a created being. He was just an angel. And that uh, those angels were supposed to be worshipped. And we see something of this in Paul's rebuke, actually in uh, chapter number 2, in uh, verse number 18. He says, uh, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And so there was evidently some in this church community that worshipped angels. Uh, how many of you remember that TV show, Touched by an Angel? Right? You know, the angel shows up and, you know, does all this stuff, right? Well, in this church, I mean, they worshipped angels, they boasted about their experiences with angels in order to really draw people into this cult that they were uh, trying to draw people away from Christ. They were also declaring that Christ was basically an angel, and so Paul rebukes them, and he said that Christ is the creator of angels. He says, "...for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth." He says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him. And so Jesus created not only the visible world, but he also created the invisible world, which includes angels. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on and he makes a similar argument to 
uh, some Hebrew Christians who were being tempted to fall back into Judaism, the, the, the practice of the law, the keeping of the laws. And uh, he said that uh, the angels, uh, they said that angels had an exalted position in, in Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews seeks to demonstrate how much better Christ is over the angels, because he says in Hebrews 1, 4 through 6, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You see, Christ is far superior to angels. I find it so fascinating that there seems to be more infatuation with angels than there is Jesus Christ. Oh, I think I saw an angel. We've got to be careful sometimes with those types of things. You might be thinking, Mike, why are you telling us this? I'm not worshiping angels. Maybe not, but I say these things to warn you that there are people out there that teach things that sound Christian, that sound biblical, and will try to deceive you and draw you away from Christ, just like how it happened here in uh, this church in Colossae. Paul told the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, he says, but I am afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sometimes we think, oh, I, would, I can never be deceived. But think about it, right? Like, here's Eve. She was in a perfect environment, and she was deceived. Here's these uh, Christians at Corinth that we're just talking just first century, right? I mean, just a few years after Christ had, had uh, been crucified and resurrected, there had been people that saw the resurrected Jesus, and yet they were deceived. How much more can we be deceived today? So it's so important that we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, hold fast to him. So what are some things that we can take from this about Christ being the creator of all things? Well, first of all, because Christ is the creator, we should always give him thanks and honor him. Certainly, I think there's a sense in which all children should honor their uh, mothers and their fathers because they gave him birth. We owe our existence to them, do we not? I mean, how did you get here? Your mother and your father, right? And so we should honor them. Jared, Jared used this line as a parent. I brought you into this world, and certainly I can take you out of this world, right? And so we should honor them. We should be thankful to them. But when we talk about Christ, we owe our existence, our very who we are, our livelihood, everything about us, to him. How much more should we always give thanks to Christ, the creator of all things? He did not need to create us, and he certainly did not need to save us after the fall of man. In Malachi 1.6, I love this verse, listen to this. In Malachi 1.6, God brings up an interesting argument to the prophet Malachi. And he says, 
regarding his people, he says this. This is God speaking. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? I am, if I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. Do we really honor Christ? Do we really thank Christ? Or is our attention, is our minds, is our hearts fixed on other things other than Jesus? Here's the second thing. Because Christ is the creator, we should seek to fulfill his purposes for our lives. Every creator creates something for a purpose. And therefore our purpose is found and fulfilled in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It would be foolish for us to live our lives without knowing and submitting to the will of God. To just kind of casually go through life, just kind of coasting through and not really submitting to God's will for our lives. Why has God created us? For his own use, his own purpose. Many times, Christians, myself included, I, we hold back. We hold back our lives and surrender to the Father because we think that we're going to miss out on something. That God somehow is going to keep us from, from enjoying something in life. All things were created for him and by him. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? From the Father above. God's not going to hold something away from us that is not good for us. He gives us all things. Remember Christ's words in the garden, his last words? What did he say? Thy will be done. Everything that the Father had for him, Christ said, your will be done. I want to do your will. Thirdly, because Christ is the creator, we should seek him for wisdom about everything. We should seek his help and wisdom in everything, including freedom from sin and righteousness and salvation, future plans, education, missions, government, etc., etc., etc. When you want help with something, wouldn't it always be best to ask the Creator? I can't tell you how many times, and I've seen this. Here's my daughter. She's pretty capable. But there are things that she needs help with. And so what does she do? She knows she can't do them. So where does she go? Dad, can you help me do this? Dad, I need your help. Dad, can you help me? Dad, what do I do with this? Are our eyes and our hearts fixed on Christ? Or is it towards other things? Listen to Paul's words on this in Colossians 2, verses 2 through 3. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, 
which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, these believers here, they were looking towards other things, other people, other doctrines, whatever you want to throw in there, to be enlightened, to have wisdom, to have knowledge, to have an experience, whatever you want to put in there. And their eyes and their hearts were not focused on Christ. And he says, I want you to know that in Christ is hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And so in Christ is hidden all the treasures. And this was especially important for the Colossians to hear as they were being tempted to be drawn away from Christ. And so why should we exalt Jesus as king as the firstborn of creation? Because he is the creator. Here's the second thing and last thing. Jesus is king, the firstborn of creation, because all things were created for him. All things were created for him. Notice again in our text in verse 16, it says, all things were created by him and for him. Now take note of that, special, that phrase there, for him. Literally, Paul is saying to him. Reads quite differently, doesn't it? All things are created by him and to him. Now, this really helps us turn our attention to Jesus. Why? Because everything was created to give glory to Jesus. This is typical, I think, even of the things that we create. Just last night, I was working on a little project. I was outside, and I cut some wood, and I laid it out on the, on the uh, uh, driveway there. And I said, hey, Jane, come out here. I want to show you this. And she comes outside, and she's looking at it. And I'm like, all right, so I got this, got this. And she goes, good. Can we go inside now? I'm cold. <laughs> I was very proud of what I created. And so we try to draw that attention to the things that we have created. Everything was created to give glory to Jesus. And when we think about that, everything Jesus created was made to bring glory to him. Everything. Listen to what David said about creation in Psalm 19, 1 through 2. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. David said that the heavens are preachers. Every day they speak of God and bring glory to him. In the same way, because Christ is God, everything in creation was made for him and to speak of him. In Romans 11.36 it says, For from him, all through him, and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. All things were made to give pleasure to God and to bring glory to him. Christ is over all of creation because he made it and it was made to honor and glorify him. Listen to what Paul says about Christ in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Christ has been exalted. 
to the highest place and given a name above all names so that everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will one day bow to him and exalt him. And it's interesting to think about it, but that day that our Lord rode into Jerusalem, he made the dirt that those men formed into a road. Our Lord made those stones that those men formed to make the walls of Jerusalem. Our Lord made that donkey that he had need of. Our Lord made the palm branches that people cut down to throw in front of him. Everything was made for him. Now make the connection here. You and I were made for him. How is our life reflecting that? Is it all about what I have, what I'm doing, what I can accomplish? Or is our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus Christ that everything that we do is for Christ? Sad to say, but I think that there are individuals, possibly even here in this church uh, group gathered here today, that you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. He has created you, he has made you, but yet you have never humbly submitted your will to his. You have never repented of your sin and turned to Christ. Scripture reminds us and tells us and says that every knee will bow to God the Father and give him glory. And instead of pointing the finger and saying, no, God, you're not going to do that, I would hope that you would turn to Jesus and repent of your sin and believe in what Christ has done. Let's pray together, shall we? If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.